Thank you, musicians and singers. Today is the first Sunday of the month, so we will be observing communion right after today's sermon. So if you haven't already, uh, Brother Hendrick and, and Sister Elva were giving out these communion packets at the beginning. If you have not received one, just, just find them and, and make sure you have that for uh, the end of today's service. Also today, as I mentioned uh, last week, we are beginning a new mini-series, uh, especially in the time of Christmas. We are now in the first Sunday of December, but with Christmas right around the corner, I thought it would be nice to just have a, a mini-series based on the, the Christmas message. And so today, we're going to begin our first sermon. Now, the whole theme to this month, the whole Christmas theme is this, from eternity to eternity. And every message that we are going to be speaking about this month will have something to do with eternity. So if you have your Bibles with you today, we're going to consider today's first message, which is called Before the Foundation of the World. If you have your Bibles, let's begin now in John chapter 17. And today I want to read verses 1 to 5. But then for each point of today's message, the three points that we have for today's message, we're going to look at other scripture verses, but we're going to keep coming back to what we're going to read here today. So we're just going to use this as our introduction, but of course there are other verses to read today before our beginning text, John chapter 17, and I'll read from verse 1 to 5. All right, and if you already have that in your Bibles or on your phones, would you please stand with me as I read this for all of us here today? John chapter 17, verse 1 to 5. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given to me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. <laughs> Amen. You may be seated. So again, the theme for this month is from eternity to eternity. And I know that's a word we talk about a lot, especially when it comes to the Bible and, and salvation, everlasting life, eternal life. But really, when you think about eternity, is it as mind-boggling to you as it is to me? Now, on one hand, uh, I can sort of picture eternal life in the future. I can, I can picture eternity in the future. Because I think right now I can always imagine there's always a tomorrow, there's always a tomorrow, there's always a tomorrow. And we're always living and looking toward the future. And I think because of that, I can almost wrap my mind around the fact that there is eternal life waiting for us. A time that will never, ever end. 
Okay, it's hard to imagine, but I think in some ways I can at least picture that. Eternal life is not a million years. It's not a billion years. It's not a trillion years. It is forever. But where I really get stumped is when I think of eternity past. That with God, there is no beginning with God. And that is very hard for me. Because we're always coming from the past. Everything that we do in a second is already in the past. And so we can see where we began. And maybe you think to yourself, I began when the day came I was born. And then from there, I can look to the future. But when it comes to God, there is no beginning with God. And when I try to comprehend that, then I really get lost. And so in today's message, as well as all through December, we're going to look at from eternity to eternity, and we begin with this, before the foundation of the world. In other words, before God ever created the earth, there are things that we can know about him. And that's what we're going to look at today. So when it comes to this message today, let's just begin with this. Because in our minds, this is where it all begins. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that verse. It's the very first verse in all the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what's amazing about this verse is that God, who is from eternity, in this one simple sentence right here, he creates in one moment time, space, and matter. All in a moment. They all came into being at the same time. Time. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens, that is space, and the earth, that is matter. In one moment of creation, God created time, space, and matter. And you might ask yourself, well, what about when there was no time, or space, or matter? What was happening? What was there? All we know from this verse is that God was there. In the beginning, God. So before time, before space and matter came into being, all we know is there was a God, and he had a plan and a purpose. God calls himself. Of course, we believe he is the triune God, meaning he is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three co-equal, co-eternal persons of God. And God made himself known in the Old Testament as I am, which meant that he is outside of all the limits of time and space and matter. Of course he is because only from eternity could God actually create something we call time and space and matter. If God created those things, then it means that he's greater than these things. He's above these things. In many ways, he's outside of these things. He has no limitations whatsoever. He cannot be limited by space, time, or matter. He is from what we call eternity. And everything from one end of the galaxies to the next is what he created in space and in matter and in time. He says, I am. 
And that means he is the eternal one. And everything comes from him. Such thoughts are beyond us. We're limited and finite, so we cannot fully comprehend eternity. One day we will, but this time maybe not. The Bible shares with us some glimpses of truth concerning eternity past and eternity future. And every once in a while, like we're going to see today, the Bible gives you just a glimpse of eternity past. But even that glimpse, it's very hard to fully comprehend. And I think by today's message, the end of it, you're going to admit, yeah, I still don't quite understand. Today we will discover from eternity past, before the foundation of the world, before God created any single thing, we will learn something about eternal past. We're going to see something about Jesus, and we're going to see something about God's plans and purposes through Jesus and for you. All before the creation of the world, in that place we call eternity. So let's look at three things we see concerning Jesus and concerning his people, all in the mind of God before the world ever was. So let's begin with this. The number one thing that we see before the foundation of the world, we see his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, let's just begin. Let's, if you have your Bible still with you, look again at John chapter 17. And once again, I'm going to read verse 5. And then I'm going to read verse 24. 17 verse 5, it says, this is what Jesus said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And now if you look at John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus also says, Father, I desire that they also, his disciples and you, that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Wow. You know, John chapter 17 is a famous chapter in the Bible. It's nicknamed the, the priestly prayer of Jesus. It took place during the last Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples, just hours before his crucifixion. And I love how Jesus is sitting with his disciples at this Passover meal. He's sitting with them, he's teaching them, he's eating with them, and then all of a sudden, as John says, he just looks up to heaven and starts talking to the Father. The disciples could hear him speaking to the Father, and John wrote down the prayer that Jesus made. The disciples heard him speak. John records the words, but as of yet, they still understood very little about what he was actually saying and revealing about himself. Do you know one time Jesus was talking about Abraham, who the Jews looked at as sort of their, the hero of the Jewish nation. And Jesus made the statement, before Abraham was, I am. 
Now, not only did he just refer to himself by that wonderful name of God, but he also was showing to them, before Abraham was ever created and alive, I was already in existence. Now, they didn't understand that. They didn't understand that this Jesus was from all eternity past. They didn't understand it, but that's what he's revealing once again in this prayer. And now he speaks of a time before time, before the foundation of the world, allowing the disciples, and indeed us, to catch just a glimpse of the glory that he shared with the Father and the all-powerful, everlasting, amazing love that the Father poured upon the Son even before the foundation of the world. Jesus speaks of his eternal glory. The Bible says, like in Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the creator of all things, that all things were created by him, through him, for him, that it's Jesus that holds all the creation together. It's his word and his power that all the galaxies and all the stars, giants spinning and moving at incredible velocities in the universe, they're all held together by invisible bands. And they all still obey the laws that govern them. And they all exist to declare this one thing about Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. The one who created all these things is glorious. The brightness of the glory of Jesus, it's brighter and outshines the sun. Even the mighty angels of heaven bow before Jesus, and they sing his praises, and they applaud his power and his will and his word. And even these mighty angels of heaven they hide their faces from the awesomeness and the brightness of the glory of Jesus. Last week, during one of the thunderstorms that we had, at least in Marina where I am, near the ocean, sometimes we get some pretty fierce lightning storms down there. But one day last week, I could hear the wind howling and, and I could hear thunder rumbling in the back. and so. I noticed that it was getting dark, and I just walked outside my front porch area, and I stood on the porch and just kind of looked at all these dark clouds coming and all the wind picking up, and suddenly, up over the trees and somewhere over the ocean, a big bolt of lightning just struck. And it was right in front of me. It was so big, and it flashed. And when it flashed, I kind of went, oh, like this. So bright and brilliant. And immediately I turned around to go back inside because I knew what was coming next. In two seconds, the boom of the thunder, oh, it hit me hard. And it felt like it went right through my soul. But you know that that lightning bolt with such great power and magnitude of light and the booming thunder, it's just a small spark compared to the power and the glory and the brightness of Jesus Christ. He is glorious. The glory of Christ. It is from all eternity past. This was the glory 
that the Bible says in Philippians, he set aside. When he stepped off of his throne and came down into our world and entered into time, into humanity. And on that Christmas morning or evening, as he rested in his mother's arms as a child, Mary looking upon her newborn son in that stillness of the night, wondering of all that would happen to him and through him, the angels suddenly burst forth with praise and worship, and they sang, glory to God in the highest. Glory! They've been singing that song from the time they were created because their Lord, their King, their God, as well as ours, He has been glorious from everlasting, and He will be glorious into everlasting. And so now as Jesus speaks these words, John 17, in the presence of His disciples, while they are in utter amazement at the things He revealed, just down the road, somewhere in the middle of the night, Judas Iscariot is counting out 30 pieces of silver in his pocket, the price of betrayal. Somewhere outside the city, some Romans are constructing some wooden crosses because when morning comes, there will be some horrific crucifixions scheduled for the morning hour. The disciples were about to witness their Lord betrayed, beaten, scourged, mocked, crucified. Jesus would be nailed to a cross, naked and bleeding for all to see. And the Bible tells us that he was surrounded with laughter and spitting. It's no wonder then that Jesus prays, Father, I pray that those who you have given to me, that they may be with me and they see my glory. Father, let them see the other side of all this. Let the day come where they will behold with their own eyes the splendor of my glory, the glory I had with you from before the world was. In his last hours before the cross, Jesus is thinking about us. Isn't that amazing? With all that he was about to face, his thoughts are about us. He wants us to be where he is and to see him in all that glory. As it was from all eternity. And someday, my friends, we will. Amen? So number one, we see his glory before the foundation of the world. Number two, we see his people. Again, John chapter 17, verse 2. And then we're going to flip over to Ephesians. Chapter 17, verse 2, listen to what Jesus says. To the Father, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He's talking about a people who are given to him, and he gives them eternal life. Who are these people? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. 
just as he chose us in him, that is, the Father chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good will, or I'm sorry, to the good pleasure of his will. Can we fathom what these verses are saying? God knew us before the foundation of the world. God knew you, Ronald. God knew you, Shedit. He knew us before the foundation of the world. And I might ask, well, what did he know about me? He knew my wickedness and my sin. He knew my lies. He knew the impurities of my thoughts. He knew every selfish act I would commit. In other words, God knew everything about me. And a marvelous mystery, I must admit, he chose someone like me. Maybe I'll never understand that, that he would choose anyone like us, sinners as we are. Paul, who wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul must have been overwhelmed at such thoughts. Because you know, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, Paul was a murderer. He was a great persecutor of the church, and he had no problem arresting Christians, men, women, children. He had no problem arresting them, putting them into prison. He had no problem with stoning them and giving authority to stone Christian families. He murdered the church of God. And later on in life, Paul would even admit, as we all do, we're sinners. But Paul says, of all sinners, I'm the chief. Of all the horrible wickedness man could commit, I'm the chief of sinners. Until the day he met Jesus, just like we have, albeit it was a pretty miraculous meeting, on his horse on the way to Damascus, he meets Jesus on the road, Jesus allows him to see just a glimpse of glory, and it blinds Paul and knocks him off of his horse. But in that moment and in the days and weeks to come, the Lord ministered to Paul's heart, and Paul became a saved man. And instead of being a persecutor of the church, he became probably the greatest missionary that the world has ever witnessed. That was Paul. And somewhere down the road, as Paul is considering who he was, and what the Lord had done for him, he would write not only these words in Ephesians, but he would also write these words in Galatians. Look at what Paul says. God separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. So as Paul reviews his life and what the Lord has done, as far as Paul can tell, even from the moment he was born, God already had a calling upon his life. God had already began to work a separation in his life. And God already was beginning to show grace into Paul's life to reveal Jesus to him. 
God's choosing us before the foundation of the world. It's not only about that moment when God poured upon us his saving grace and we were saved. In that moment when we were born again, forgiven, set free, made alive in Christ, being chosen from before the foundation of the world is not just pointing to that one moment of time. This choosing is about all that God will accomplish in your life. It's about all that God will unfold in the working that he's doing in your life. Not just for today, but for tomorrow and for all eternity. God has destined you to a final outcome, and that is to behold the glory of Jesus Christ in eternity. And so as you read Ephesians chapter 1, all that's involved in this God choosing this people, he chooses them so that he calls them, he redeems them, he separates them, he adopts them as his own children, he gives them the inheritance of everlasting life, and he will gather these people to himself to behold his glory and love forever. This is the plan God has for you, to save you and to take you into this journey until one day you see Jesus face to face. And that whole plan, according to Ephesians, it began before the foundation of the world. This is what God has chosen for us, for us who believe in the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. But don't miss this one thing. Don't miss this part. Let me just go back to that verse. Don't miss this. It says, just as he chose us in him. Who is him? God the Father chose us in Jesus Christ, the Son. In other words, as we were praying before today's sermon, in other words, apart from Christ, there's no need to read any further in Ephesians because we will not share those blessings. Apart from Christ, we are a lost people, sinners, and we will die in our sins. But with Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus, with Jesus, we have every promise and every blessing of God. And so I say to you that are listening to me today, and those who may be listening right now on live stream or later on YouTube, without Christ, we are lost. We have nothing. Religion does not save. Good works cannot save. God has made one plan through one person, Jesus Christ. And it's the offer he gives to all. Come and believe in my son. Without Jesus, we have nothing. With Jesus, we have everything. Everything. Amen. Now, I will also admit Ephesians chapter 1 is a quite difficult chapter to read and fully comprehend. It's difficult to understand that he chose us, his people, the people of Jesus Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world. But when we try to understand this, I believe it's okay. 
if you can just see it, believe what it says, say amen, and be thankful for Jesus Christ. It's kind of like that woman we talked about last week who needed healing. She said, if only I could just touch the hem of his garment, just the bottom portion of his clothing, I will be healed. And all she did was touch that hem, and her life was changed forever. If we can read Ephesians 1 and just simply touch the hem, I see it, I believe it, and oh, I'm thankful for it. It's enough. It's enough. Do you know, today, Ephesians 1 and many other portions of Scripture, Ephesians 1 is a cause of controversy among so many Christians. And you have many Christians who disagree with what it means and what it involves and how God chose us. You know, did God choose us because we chose Him? Or did we choose Him because He chose us? And, and they, they try to figure these things out. They have a disagreement, and then the next thing they do is debate one another. And in their debating, it ends with division. And one of the reasons why churches are divided today is because they disagree and they debate over something like this and they go their separate ways. Do you remember the man who was healed in John chapter 9? It was a man who was born blind. And Jesus goes up to this man. He spits on the ground. He does what only Jesus could do. Spits on the ground, makes clay, and wipes it on the man's eyes. And then says to the man, go wash in the pool. And when he did, he came back seeing. And then all the religious people got involved, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they began to have a difference of opinion. They began to disagree how it happened. It happened this way. No, it had to happen this way. Who healed him? Jesus? Well, then this is what we think about Jesus. No, no, no. This is what we think about Jesus. And their disagreement became a debate, and it became a fight until it ended up, the Bible says, they were divided. Divided among themselves. And by the end, they may have been divided into two groups, three groups, or more. And so finally, all these divided men, they look at the blind man and they say, what do you say? What do you think? And the man speaking about all this debate and all this disagreement and all this division simply said, I don't know what to tell you. Here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. I was a blind man, and Jesus touched my life, and now I see. How did it happen? What did he do? What does this mean? I don't know yet. All I know, I was a lost man in my blindness, and Jesus made me well. Isn't it enough for us to say, I may not understand all these things, and I'm not going to try to fight over the, what I think or what you think. Instead, how about this? We just come to the agreement. Jesus saved my life. He's forgiven me. He's given me a brand new life. And now I know I belong to God and I will see his glory one day. Isn't that enough? It was for the blind man, and it can be for us. Nevertheless, go home with this thought. He chose you before the foundation of the world. Amazing. What else can we do but just say, thank you, God. Thank you for looking upon this sinner and saving me.
We see his people. And last, number three, before the foundation of the world, what do we see? His sacrifice. Again, John chapter 17, verse 1 and 4. And then we're going, to, we're going to look at 1 Peter after this. John 17, verse 1, and then verse 4. Jesus spoke these things, these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. What work? What did Jesus come to do? What's the work that he was sent to accomplish? It's the work that we call redemption. This is why Jesus came. It's called redemption. From the time he was born in that manger until he ascended into heaven, it was one plan, the plan of redemption. And so if you look at 1 Peter with me, chapter 1, it says, redeemed. Redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained, when? Before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Redeemed. That word can mean that a husband is going to purchase his bride. But most often it is used to describe when a slave is purchased at the slave market. They are redeemed. There's a ransom and a price, and someone comes to redeem that slave. This is what Jesus has done for us. The Bible teaches that we were slaves of sin, and when Jesus came, he redeemed us in order to free us, and he didn't pay for us with gold or silver or any money. He paid for us by his own blood. And when he bought us, he set us free. And so Jesus says, for the one the Son sets free, you are free indeed. That is redemption. He has freed us to be in a relationship with God. He has freed us to receive the promises of God. He has freed us to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and to have everlasting life. We are redeemed from our slavery. And all of this was determined before the foundation of the world. Before God acted in creation, he knew he would have to act in salvation. Can you imagine Jesus creating the earth, every high mountain and every valley? And he would see those mountains that would one day be called Moriah, and one day the city of Jerusalem would be built upon that mountain. Isaac would be taken there by Abraham, and God would work a wonderful thing through that family. And then generations and generations of time would go by, and Jesus would be crucified on a cross on that same mountain. When Jesus created the earth, do you think he knew? Do you think he said, Father, here it is. This will be the point. This will be the spot right here. This is where I will make an end of sin. 
Did Jesus know those things before he created all things? Well, according to this, his sacrifice was already determined before the foundation of the world. And I end with this one thought, and musicians, you can come as we're going to prepare for communion. Let me just end with this thought. It says, Jesus, the Lamb of God, he was ordained, foreordained, before the foundation of the world, and then he was manifested in the flesh, born into this world to die on a cross. All of it was for you, for you. Jesus said, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. And in the same way, do you know that the Father loved you before the foundation of the world? God's love is from that place called eternity, which means that eternal love that gets poured into your life here in time and space and matter, there's nothing that can kill that eternal love. It's from eternity. It belongs to eternity. It's from eternity, and it will go into eternity. All of what God has done was for you. And so if you think to your own mind right now, God, thank you for loving me. When did you start loving me? God would say, before the foundation of the world. Wow, God, and how long will you love me? From eternity to eternity, the everlasting love of God. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment, not only in closing our sermon, but in preparing our hearts for communion together.